We are today celebrating baptism in just a little bit, but what we're doing is kind of flip-flopping our service. So I'm coming up to preach now. We're going to go back into worship in a little bit, and at each of our services today, we're celebrating baptism. And if you're here today and you've been wrestling with this, we're going to give you a chance at the end of this message to respond. We have clothes that you can borrow. We have brand new t-shirts you can wear. Because we're not after numbers. Hear me closely. We're not after numbers for baptism. We're after changed lives. And so I want to take a few moments today and to share with you the second message of here I am, send me. You see, last week we talked out of the book of Isaiah and how that God gets us ready to do what it is God has called us to do. And, and at the end of that message, I challenged us to submit everything we have so that God could take us and we could then stand before him and say, here I am. And the last point last week was that we need to be undone so that we could be redone. And this week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 to extend the rest of that to the send me part. And I've got a story. I didn't ask permission to share this, but I've already shared it once. And I'll leave the names out of it. But yesterday... As we were at the putt-putt um, in the gym, there were two young elementary, did you hear me, elementary students who shared to me some powerful stories of ownership. The first one was a young man who said that he took cards last week, and I believe he said there were 29 students in his class. And this young man, element, did y'all catch elementary student? Elementary student who took a card for every kid in his class. Then this morning, like, like I heard part of the story yesterday and heard some more today. There was another elementary young lady who said that she wanted to be able to give the same thing. She wanted to give these cards to everyone in her class. But there was one young lady in her class. She said, I know she doesn't go to church. I want to give her a Bible, but we're afraid that her parents would get upset. And she wanted really bad to give this girl a Bible. And we were standing there we're like, you know what, sweetheart, we will get you a Bible. We'll have it overnighted so that you can give that Bible. Well, this morning, as I'm sharing that story in our prayer time, her dad spoke up and said, you know what she did yesterday when she got home? She took the invite cards, the, same, the cards that are in our lobby, and she sat down with envelopes, and she wrote each of her classmates a letter with the card. If I didn't tell you that they were elementary students, let me say that again. Because I will tell you that I have seen little kids get excited for Jesus, and it'll do something to us adults. And so as you leave today, we're, we're getting ready to be prepared for journey in just a week and a half. We're getting ready for Easter. But guys, there are people all around us that we do life with, that we work with, that we go to school with, that need to hear about Jesus, and they need you. To invite them. They need you to take ownership of those cards and those yard signs and be willing to go out to them and say, hey, listen, I want you to come to Journey. I want you to come worship with me on Easter. Because I believe that this has the power to turn Tekoa upside down. Do you? I do. I believe that this can change our community and our world. Why? Not because of us, not because of the event, but because of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be reading today is this passage in Matthew chapter 28. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. But 
I want to give you an analogy to start with. Because there's a picture I want to show you of my kids. Ta-da! Check that out. These are a variety of pictures over the last five to ten years of the first day of school for my kids. Now, in this room, there's a variety of ways that you have or you do get your kids ready for the first day of school. About in, in July, you know, you're going to go to Walmart or you're going to look at the school website and you're going to get this class list and it's got paper and pencils and crayons and, and markers and glue and all the things you're going to get. And then you're there and you're like, well, they got to have a new lunchbox. So you go and get them. When I was a kid, it was a He-Man lunchbox. You know, I had my He-Man lunchbox. And yeah, well, actually, I don't know, I ate a lot of school food. It was good back then. And, and so, you know, you got, you got that. You got you to get them a new backpack, right? You want them to go, and then you got to get them new clothes. You can't let them go to school without new clothes. And, oh, well, you know, you're looking a little shaggy when you get your hair cut down. We have it very easy because my kids go to Tallulah Falls, and this is their selections. Do I wear a black or a green polo? That's it. But it's amazing how we'll spend all this energy getting them ready for the first day of school. But how weird would it be if they didn't go? If you as a parent, you know right now it's very expensive to buy school supplies. It's very expensive. To, I mean, I'm book bag. I, they're, they're crazy how, much ex, how expensive book bags are now. And wait a minute. Think about college kids. I got the chance to buy college books this year. I mean, my ki- I missed my kidney. I sold it to... to to buy these books for Emily to go to college with. How weird would it be if we paid all of that money for Emily to go to college and all that money on books and and dorm fees and the, the dining plans for her to not go to school? And it's the same thing for you and me today in our spiritual life. God has called us out of this world And he has a mission and a purpose for each one of us. God prepared us initially by giving us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit begins to change us and to transform us into the image of Christ. How wrong is it if we don't go when we've been prepared? It doesn't make sense in our minds, right? If we relate that to the first day of school and getting our kids ready to go and we get ready but then we don't go. Does it make sense, does it? There's no greater passage in the New Testament that describes us going than Matthew 28, 18 through 20. One author said it like this. They're standing there on this mountain. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he's with his 11. Lest one, Judas is now gone. And he says this. The preparation of the 12 as Jesus' task force which had apparently ended in an irreversible disaster in 2656. What he's referring to there is when Jesus was arrested in the garden and the disciples run for their lives. They now, it's resumed, or rather the 11 of them, it's been restored to their position of trust and responsibility and given the final instructions for fulfilling the mission that they were called to in Matthew chapter 10. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, the 11 that are left now, less Judas, have been given this mission. And when Jesus was arrested, the first thing that they did was they ran and they fled. 
Would you and I agree that the two to three years that these men spent with Jesus, they were getting ready to do what Jesus had called them to do? And it appeared that at their first task, the first thing they had to be pressured with, they ran. But now Jesus has gathered them back together. He's on this mount. And if you would stand with me, I want you to hear what it is that Jesus says to them. Very familiar passage. You're probably like, oh my gosh, how many times can I hear a sermon on Matthew 28? Because there's no other mission than this one. He says, starting in verse number 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. That was their first response. It wasn't to ask questions. It wasn't to apologize. They worshipped him. Would you not worship the man who said he was the son of God and he came back to life? It'd be a little bit of a different encounter, wouldn't it? He said, but there were some who were doubtful, even standing there. They were doubting in their heart. But let me ask you a question. Can God deal with your doubt? Doubt is the gateway for our faith to increase. And so he says this. Go therefore, or to me, as you are going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and do all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as you search our hearts today, God, my hope and my prayer is for those in this room that need to get realigned back where you want them to be. God, as we are celebrating baptism today, we're, we're not just celebrating changed lives, we're celebrating the gospel We're celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, God, would you let it be clear what you are calling your people to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Our mission, ladies and gentlemen, is clear from this passage. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called We Are Ebenezer. We have rewritten our our mission statement, or I would say our core value statement. And I can't wait to preach this message. God... Uh, showed me something back in December as I was looking at our mission statement. I'm going, man, we need something that is memorable. And we have a mission statement that's going to be 12 words with four core values. I cannot wait. Our Wednesday night Bible study, got to hear this Wednesday night. But starting in April, mid-April, we're going to do a series called We Are Ebenezer. And I can't wait to be able to share that. But let me tell you, that mission statement is an expression of Ebenezer's. But God's given us a mission statement. And it's two words. It's the very center of these verses. And it's simply this. Make disciples. When you look at this, at this paragraph and you, you're looking at verses 18 through 20, there's really only three main verbs. In verse number 18, not, not including where he says he came up and spoke to them, but I'm talking about what Jesus is saying. He says, all authority has been given. That's the first main verb. The second one is make disciples, which is an imperative in the Greek text. And the third one is I am with you. I am. That's it. Everything else in here, uh, let me break your, uh, your English brain for a minute, is a participle. Serving as an adjective or an adverb to describe what's going on here. And what I want to convey to you is four principles of going four things that god has given us that 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 enables us to go and if you look behind me 
if you've noticed, there's a, there's a cow trough up here. I, I'm not going to talk about cows. But we've used this trough for baptism. And a friend of mine and I were talking this week. His name's Patrick. He's a, a pastor friend of mine. And I was telling him about what I was going to preach on. And he, he shared with me an, an illustration he did. And I'm like, I'm stealing that. And I'm giving him credit for it right now online. Because what I want you to think about is this trough. And this trough being filled with water, because what we believe about baptism is we are being immersed in water, fully consumed in what that water represents. And in each of these buckets, it's going to represent one of the four points that I'm going to give to you today. And at the end of this message, my challenge to you is this. Have you been immersed? Got it? Immersed in everything that this passage implies. The first one is this. We go because God has given us prerogative. He's given us prerogative. We go in His authority. He says in verse 18, let me remind you, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Prerogative is an exclusive right or privilege. And what greater person was there on the face of this planet than Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, to receive this authority from the Father in heaven? It says that he's given him the authority in, he- in heaven on earth. In other words, he is the rightful ruler. He is the king. He has the authority, and because of that, he has the prerogative. He has this exclusive right or privilege, and he has given that extension to you and to me as the church. In Matthew 8, 26 through 27, there's this scene where the disciples have gotten in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus goes to sleep, and a storm comes up. Now, they stood up and said, you know, hey, guys, don't worry. Jesus is here with us. And No, that's not what they did. They were freaking out. They were like, well, we're going to die. I mean, you know, like some of you have had that kid in your house or at school that can't get a drink of water. Like, I'm going to die of thirst. And like you're going, no, 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 you're not going to die. And it's the same kind of scene. They're on this boat, and they start crying out. And they wake Jesus up and said, we're about to perish. That seems a little tame for me. I think they were freaking out. And it says, Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? He got up and he rebuked the winds and the seas and it became perfectly calm. Why? Because when we read the Bible, it says the word became flesh. Jesus is the word of God and just speaking his word. Remember, it was the word of God that brought creation into existence. This Jesus has that authority that he can look at the wind And the seas and tell them with a snap of his finger to stop. And this is what they said. They said they were amazed. And said, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and seas obey him. Even his disciples still had not quite figured out who Jesus was. But we know, don't we? He is the Son of God. And he stands in his authority as the Son of God. And he has invited you and me in his authority, not ours. Because... Guys, by ourselves, we don't have authority, we don't have ability, we don't have the right thoughts, we don't have the right right prerogative, but Jesus has given us that prerogative. In fact, when we think about prerogative, I want you to think about what God has called you to do. You see, when I was baptized, did I understand that I was being immersed into the prerogative of Christ, that I'm no longer of this world? That just as Jesus came from the Father to the earth and went back, 
so you and I too, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we, this is not our final home. We have been baptized into his authority because he has authority. And now he is calling us in his authority to make a difference into this world. And so as you're thinking about these baptismal waters, is this the water that you have been baptized into? Acknowledging the authority, the position, the power, the majesty of the Son of God. Because those disciples that day, they go to this mountain and they see him. And they didn't go up and say, Jesus, man, this don't make sense. They said, Jesus, why, why? They didn't start asking questions. They worshiped. They humbled and they submitted before the Son of God and his authority and his prerogative. When you were baptized, if you're a believer in Christ, did you realize that you were being baptized into this knowledge that Jesus is your authority? That Jesus is your king. That he's the savior who has power over life and death. The king who reigns and rules over everything. Did you realize you were being immersed into that? And because of that, then he gives us a path. Point number two, a path. We have a prerogative, but now we have this path. We go to make disciples. Again, that word is an imperative. Now, Typically in Greek, the word for make or do is the word we get poem from. We talked about that a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, where he says, you are the workmanship, the poem of Christ. But here, the verb is the, is the verb form of the word for disciple. It's where we get the word mathematics. Everything has to do with math, doesn't it? We are called twofold. That as we are going, God does not want you to be stagnant. You know, one of the issues and problems I've had with churches over the years is they'll use every means of manipulation to get somebody to come down to an altar. They will shame them to death. They will guilt them to death. They will cause somebody to question their salvation. That's not what I want. And what they would do is they'd get them down to an altar, get them to make a profession, and they go, hey, look, we had three people saved this week, or... Three baptisms this week. No measurement on the value of the life that's standing and sitting at that altar. Because if that life's important, then I need to take, step in and take responsibility, which is to make a disciple out of that person and not leave them sitting there stagnant. We are called to make disciples and to be made a disciple. And you know, one of the frustrating things in life, in Christian life, is this. When we have a call... To make a disciple of you as a professing Christian, but you don't want to become a disciple. Let that sit on your heart for a minute. I've got everything figured out. I don't need anybody in my life. Yeah, you do. This right here binds us together like glue. Ebenezer, our job, our mission is to make disciples. And for you today... This is the path. This is the path that, that God has called us as a church and as individuals to make disciples and to be made a disciple. And my question today is this. Where are you in your discipleship? Have you learned everything? <laughs> I don't think you can. I've got a friend of mine from a former church. She is in her mid-90s. And I heard two weeks ago 
few weeks or a few months back that she had decided that her baptism was not on the right side of her salvation. And at 95 years old, having been in that church over 40-something years, she stepped into those baptismal waters. I'm telling you, our commitment to the path, our commitment to what God has called you and me to do as individuals in churches, did you realize that when you were immersed as a believer, you were signing up for His path? Did you understand that, that God has called His church to go make disciples, not be spectators, to not be attenders? Church is not a one-hour service on Sunday morning. We are the church. And we have been called to take this message to the world. Have you been immersed in that plan? That baptismal pool that you were dunked in or that river or that lake or that pool, wherever it was, did you understand that when you were being immersed into that pool, that that's what God was immersing your life into. That we are to go, and while going, that we own the responsibility that God has given us to make disciples and to be disciples. But then there's the third thing. Well, what does that mean? we got to have a plan. Third point number three, we got to have a plan. We go to baptize and to teach those two participles that are present tense. They, they don't end. Baptizing. How do we baptize? We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is no greater definition and statement of the Trinity that we see here. Remember back up, Jesus said he's coming in the authority of the Father. Well, who sent the Spirit? Jesus did. All of them together, three persons but one God being baptized into the identity of Christ. Now, let me, let me get into a little bit of a moment of just very general teaching. Because when you read this passage, many different denominations have interpreted this differently. For some, they say, you know what, we need to teach, like a catechism, kids, for a, or, kids or young adults or, or, or people for a time, and then we'll decide if they're ready to be baptized. Then you've got some denominations that practice what's called infant baptism or christening where, well, we're going to be teaching them anyway, so let's do that when they're little and then they don't have to worry about it in their future. What we believe as Baptists is this, that we believe that you make a profession of faith, which a baby cannot do, and subsequent to that, you are baptized. And it is a doorway, it is an initial obedience that defines your discipleship. That's why the baptism part is so vital and important. And, and, and complementary to that is teaching them to obey what I have commanded. We, we spent weeks talking about how God has called us to love our neighbor and to obey his commands. There's no greater charge and challenge to us today than this. We need to know what God has said to do. And then we need in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what it is he's challenged us to do. And my question to you today is this. Have you been baptized into that knowledge? You know, for example, when you look into Scripture, let me give you some examples of what baptism represented. It is a mark of identification. Paul said to, to a group, he said, well, what are you being baptized into? And he said, into John's baptism. Well, John baptized with repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming. I'm telling you, he came. Now you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's an identification. It's a mark of allegiance. It's a mark of repentance. Peter said to them, repent and to be baptized. It's a mark 
of new life. Therefore, you have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised through the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might have the newness of life. It's a mark of cleansing. Paul is giving his testimony about Ananias. And Ananias comes to him and he says, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Paul was baptized as a mark of cleansing. It's a mark of unity. What threads us together is baptism. It's a mark of the resurrection. That's why immersion is so important that when you go down into the water, it's like you going down into the grave like Jesus did, but then you come up as a new life. And it's a mark of intention. 1 Peter 3.21 said, corresponding to that, baptism is an appeal to a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. This does not precede or supersede spirit baptism. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? Jesus was coming to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. We need that in feeling. That's what marks us as a Christian. Can I remind you that one of the thieves on the cross looked at Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into the kingdom. And so they took him off the cross and they baptized him, right? Nope. He didn't go through catechism. He didn't get to go through new believers class. He died. I was watching a reel from, uh, from, a, from a theologian just this, this morning. And he was like, he was talking about this very thing. And he said, you know, you kind of wonder what happened when the thief got to heaven. And he walks in and the angels go, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. All I know is this guy said, I'll be in paradise. I guess this is it. He's like going, well, the angel kind of gets, gets messed up. And he goes and he says, well, let me get my, let me get my supervising angel. And that supervising angel comes over and he says, he's like, hey, um, did you, uh, do you understand the full implication of the, of the theology of justification? And he's like, I don't know. Do you understand what it means to do this and this? And the guy's like, all I know is a few, a few minutes ago, I was hanging on a cross dying. And this man said, remember, I said, remember me when you come in the kingdom. And he said, come on. Have you been baptized in his name? Have you been baptized in his transformation? Have you identified yourself with the name of Christ, the suffering of Christ, with the gospel of Christ? Is that what you were immersed in? Do you see that? Do you understand that? That he has called us to be baptized, which is a mark of initial obedience, but then it is a journey of learning. And parents, let me say something to you. Parents ask me more than anything, hey, listen, I don't want to baptize my kid too early. I don't want to give them a false assurance of salvation. Let me tell you what gives a kid a false assurance of salvation. When you get them baptized, but you don't teach them to be a disciple at home. If you want to ensure your kid grows up in faith, the only way you can do that, and you can't even ensure that, you can, you can raise a kid in church 18 years and they fall away. I hate that. I hate it. But I can tell you, if you get a kid baptized, but you don't reinforce the teachings of Christ at home, they won't become a, a disciple. If you want to do the best you can do, then practice faith and morality and teaching in your home so your kid has the best, what, be, the best environment to do that. And then point number four, because we've talked about prerogative, we talked about path, we talked about plan, but now I want to talk about promise. For many people, when they identify with Jesus, they have to give up family. They have to give up friends. 
They're giving up a whole lot of stuff. Remember when Jesus asked the rich young ruler to go sell everything he had and come follow him? He gave up a lot. Some of you in this room, if you've come from a different denomination, you face the pressure that your family may be saying, no, you don't need to do that. If you do, I will disown you. I had a Hispanic friend in college that we worked on for a long time to try to get him to come to faith. He was of the Catholic uh, religion, and he, he wouldn't come to our Bible studies because he said, if my grandmother finds out, she will disown me. People give up a lot of stuff, but let me remind you what he promised in this verse. He said, I am with you always. When you were baptized, were you being baptized in the notion and the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus promised? He would never leave you and never forsake you. That if you're the last human being on the face of this planet, Jesus is with you. And if he says, I want you to go and make disciples, guess who's there with you? Jesus is. That when you are going and you're saying to somebody, hey, you need to accept Jesus to be baptized, Jesus is with you. That when you stand up and you're declaring, thus says the Lord, Jesus is with you. That in your lonely moments, Jesus is with you. When you grieve, Jesus is with you. When you stumble, Jesus is with you. Have you been baptized and immersed in the idea that Jesus has promised he will never leave you? Because when I understand that, When I understand that I'm being baptized into his prerogative, his plan, his path, and his promise, it does something to my life. I'm never the same again. And so for you and me today, as we stand here and we look at the word of God and we look at ourselves, here's what I want to ask you today. Are you sure that your baptism is on the right side of the point in time when you accepted Jesus Christ? If you were christened or baptized as an infant and you haven't been baptized after you made a profession of faith that I have been saved, then I want to challenge you to consider I need to be baptized. Maybe you were saved as a little child, but your mom and dad didn't affirm that. They, they said, no, we're not going to get you baptized. They're just not ready yet. And you grew on up as a teenager and you look back and you're going like, I was never baptized. You need to be baptized. Or maybe you sit here today and you're like, well, you know, I was so young that I didn't really understand this is what I was signing up for. If that's you today, I want to to encourage you to be baptized. Why? Why is this so important? Because it tells the world that Jesus is my king, that he is my authority, that he's called us as we're presenting ourselves and saying, here I am, send me, then I need to be ready to go But I can't go into a world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ if I don't obey him. And Jesus has said, come, follow me, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And he made that super promise, I'll be with you always. So I want to ask you to bow your heads at this moment. Our band is going to go ahead and start playing. And during this first song, our staff team and some others will be out in the lobby. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized today. As I said, we've got clothes, t-shirts, whatever you need. Would you mind coming and joining us in the lobby? We want to talk to you for a few minutes. And I'll promise you, if we don't feel good about your profession, we're not going to encourage you to be baptized just for the sake of it. And if we feel like we're talking to you and it's, you know, really you were baptized at a certain point in your life, we're going to encourage you in that. We're going to celebrate that. 
But today, if you're here and your heart is saying, no, I need to be baptized, we want you to come and join us. So stand with me. And in just a moment, few moments of silence, in just a moment, Caleb's going to start singing. But in these few moments of silence, I want you to come. I want you to move. And here's what I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're like, hey, this is all great and good. This altar is open. Why don't you come and pray for the three people that you, you wrote down a few weeks ago that you're going to invite to come to Easter or come to Journey? Why don't you come pray for those that may be counseling with, with us in the lobby? And let's not forget, there may be somebody in this room today that's lost and doesn't know Jesus. So I'm challenging you, church, to come and intercede for those who may be suffering, hurting, and need a touch from God. So bow your heads at this moment. As Caleb is singing in just a few minutes, would you move? Would you come? Father, we love you.